Hello, Retro Encounter listeners. Today's episode is dedicated to the memory of Michael Cunningham, longtime editor-in-chief of RPGamer.com, who passed away August 25th. I spoke with Mac a few times on podcasts and many times on social media, and he was always delightful to talk to. RPGamer and the fansite community have lost a wonderful contributor, and my heart goes out to Mac's friends and family. Mac's favorite game was Final Fantasy IV, which we discussed in this episode in a small part. We shall miss you dearly, Mac, and this episode is for you. Hello and welcome to episode 152 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I am Mike Solosi and we're going to revisit a very special topic today, but before we tell you what it is, let's introduce the rest of the panel. Joining me is Keegan Lee. Hello everybody. And also joining Keegan and I is Peter Treasonberg. Hey everybody. Now, Keegan, Peter, we're bringing the band back together, because the last time the three of us podcasted as a trio was in April. Uh, I believe so, yeah. Um, we recorded a very special April Fool's podcast about five months ago, uh, in which the episode title was Top 10 Super Nintendo Games, or perhaps Top 10 SNES Games, and uh, it became very clear very soon that it was not a serious list of Super Nintendo games, or I guess Super Nintendo RPGs. Um, there was a Genesis game in there, there was a, uh, a, a demo for a Switch game in there, there was a 1993 film in there. It, it started out like maybe it could be a list of Super Nintendo RPGs, but it ver- <laughs> became very clear that it was not a list of top anything. But it, but it was a lot of fun to record, at least for mm-hmm. me. Uh, mm-hmm. I figured that putting uh, one of the highest rated RPGs at the 10 spot might have been a good sign. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, of course you both know this, but uh, for the audience's sake, that was part, by design. We put Chrono Trigger 10th just to throw people off, and mm-hmm. then it, we sort of tried to get increasingly weird with each entry. And and I think that escalation did work at least a little bit because we did get a couple emails and messages uh, of the of the vein, oh, you had me fooled for a second, but then I realized it was an April Fool's joke. Thanks, guys. Like something, and including uh, one uh, one listener told me that in person at E3 recent, uh, a few months ago. But uh, he wasn't the only person that said this. But a couple of these messages said, you know, I was a little disappointed because your joke was okay, but I I sort of wanted to hear a real list of top ten Super Nintendo RPGs from you guys, and. Peter and Keegan, the, the three of us discussing, like, you know what, we, we could do a follow-up episode that's an actual earnest attempt at coming up with uh, our ten favorite Super Nintendo RPGs. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. It, there's uh, there's so much to choose from, though. I think that was the real hard part, was putting an actual top ten together. Yeah, but asking, you shall receive. So, we're, uh, we did our best, put our heads together, picked some favorite games, and uh, here we are. Exactly. Uh, so we came up with our list of ten. Uh, basically, each of us came up with an individual top ten list, and through a little bit of a scoring system, we mashed them together and came up with a combined list of ten. And I should mention, um, before we get to the actual list, this is kind of a sequel to our 2016 uh, SNES Encounter episode, where uh, myself and two people that are no longer with RPG Fan <laughs> um, went over and uh, went over a bunch of our favorite SNES games, and um, some of the games we'll discuss today were discussed in that episode as well. And uh, also, for this list, it's not exactly all Super Nintendo games exactly. Some of them were games that 
were originally on Super Famicom and never and never uh, arrived on the Super Nintendo in Europe or North America. In fact, I think it's so, shoot, um, at least three of our list are games of that nature. Okay, so I guess those are the rules. Uh, Super Famicom and Super Nintendo are included. Uh, it was it was three lists that we combined into one, and we're basically happy with the results. But, okay, that's a lie. We're not totally happy with the results. Each of us has at least one game that we're a little bummed didn't make the list. Or, I, I'm, I'm speaking personally, is that true for both of you guys as well? I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because no, none of us had all ten of our prefer- preferred games make the list. So, before we get to the ten, we're each going to uh, go through one honorable mention. So, uh, these first three games we're going to talk about are not in the official top ten. Uh, but they're th- three games that individually we are a little disappointed didn't make the final list. So, uh, Keegan, could you tell us um, your honorable mention? For me, my honorable mention is uh, Dragon Quest VI, which is on the Super Famicom. We unfortunately never got it over here until the uh, DS release, uh, Dragon Quest VI Realms of Revelation. I feel that um, Dragon Quest VI really encapsulates that classic uh, Super Nintendo RPG feel to me. It's like putting on a nice warm sweater. You know, it's very comfy. It's very familiar, and, and, then, I just and then you fall asleep in the sweater and enter a dream world. And the dream world is uh, has you know projections and wishes and fantasies of people in the real world that you get to uh, that you get to explore. Exactly. <laughs> um, aside from my personal feelings, uh, it has a fantastic cast. You know, uh, Carver, Terry, all characters that show up in uh, later kind of spin-off series for Dragon Quest series, like uh, Dragon Quest Heroes. Like, they are well-loved by the community. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm actually, I get confused whenever I talk about uh, Dragon Quest five or six because I played them, I played a fan translations of them before the DS versions came out. So when you talk about Carver and Millie and uh, and Ashlyn, I, I think of Hassan, Muriel, and Barbara. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's, it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna probably trip a little bit when we talk about the Dragon Quest games and, and possibly some of the other uh, games that were translated at a later later date. But um, uh, Dragon Quest VI is not my favorite Dragon Quest game, but it's it's a very good Dragon Quest and a very good Super Nintendo yeah. game. Okay. Yeah, that's actually one I finished too. Um, the DS remake of was my first exposure to that game, and I quite I quite enjoyed it at the time. Mm-hmm. It's been yeah, a while. I, I wouldn't say it's my absolute favorite Dragon Quest, but I feel like it's very underrated. When people mention, you know, Dragon Quest Eight or Dragon Quest Five, and I feel like it deserves because more those credit are better, than it because gets. those are better Dragon Quest games. <laughs> yes, but Six isn't far behind them, in my opinion. Is what I'm saying. Eh, I, 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 it's a good Dragon Quest game. I don't think it's one of the best ones, but um, Dragon Quest Six is good. It, I, it wasn't on my personal top ten uh, SNES or Super Famicom games, but but I, I don't want to dismiss it. It's a good game. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, that's my honorable mention. All right, and uh, Peter, let's hear your honorable mention, Super Nintendo or Super Famicom RPG. Right, so mine for today is uh, Bahamut Lagoon, um, which was a strategy um, tactics type RPG that was released, um, it was only released in Japan, I believe. I don't think it ever got localized into English officially. It didn't, no. I, I, I played a, tr- a fan translation of it many years ago, but I don't even think I finished. It's one of those games where... It's as it's design wise, um, it's not the most sound thing in the world. Like there is kind of a little confusing, but I really love the concept of it. Um, 
I love the the artwork in particular, the sprite work for the dragons is just really cool. Um, Square was at the top of their game during this period, and um, some of their best, a lot of their most interesting games, I think, got unreleased over here, like Live a Live and Bahamut Lagoon. And what was cool, too, is that I remember hearing at some point uh, Bahamut Lagoon's working title before they handed the, the before they ended up bringing Mitsuno on board was Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, so in a lot of ways, Bahamut Lagoon sort of has this weird lineage with the Final Fantasy series, and I think that's super cool. Um, it's one of those games I'd hope that would get an official re-release or a remake someday. Honestly, it, it, Bahamut Lagoon's good. I, it's it has a lot of cool ideas for a, a strategy RPG. You um. You divide, it's kind of like Ogre Battle in that uh, you divide your characters into squadrons. Right. And, and, the, and they fight in units that way, but each squadron is assigned a dragon, so you're basically con- uh, commanding a number of dragons that each have, uh, I don't remember the exact number, I think f- five or six units riding each dragon. And depending on what units are accompanying the dragon, it changes the properties of that of that unit. It's it, it a lot of cool stuff, and... I don't know how many famous Square staff of the time were working on it. I know the writer of Bahamut Lagoon is uh, still with Square Enix and is, was the uh, and like worked on Final Fantasy X two and uh, a, and a bunch of other games. I think and, he did. I think it's the guy who did thirteen actually. Oh, was it was it him? And and I, and I know that the the composer of Bahamut Lagoon is the guy who composed uh, a bunch of front mission games. I, uh, but but wasn't uh, but wasn't Yoko Shimomura? <laughs> it was a, a person. I have to look it up now. Uh, Noriko Matsueda is the uh, composer for Bahamut Lagoon. But it's a, it's a good RPG with good music, some interesting ideas for a uh, for a strategy RPG. But I didn't finish it. I got pretty far, but I, I don't remember exactly why I stopped. I, I think some, some of I think I missed recruiting one unit, and that made me really frustrated. Mm. And uh, and it was it was an important unit. I think it was it was one of the units that increases your movement distance. Do, do you know what I mean, Peter? I didn't I didn't finish it either. Truth be told, I played okay. it, it quite a bit of it um, way back in the day. Back when I, I back then um, I, I went through a bit of a phase trying to track down old um, unreleased Japanese games. Oh, me too. That was me. Uh, <laughs> that, that was me. That was me well, in the early mid two thousands, including when I played Palmet Lagoon. <laughs> right, but and, I and get, Dragon Quest six. I didn't get too far down that road though, because I got into the weird. Uh, I would I downloaded too many games and then didn't really get around to playing very far in any of them. Syndrome, um, <laughs> which is an issue and is an issue in this case. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I think Bahamut Lagoon is a really interesting game that could deserve another chance in the spotlight, and it's. Definitely one of the most unique titles in the Super Nintendo's library, or the Super Famicom's library. So when I was thinking of stuff that wouldn't quite make a top 10, but I might want to squeeze on anyway, that came to mind. Yeah, totally makes sense. And uh, 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 and before I mention my honorable uh, mention game, I also downloaded a ton of Super Nintendo and Super Famicom RPGs in the you know, in the range of 10 to 15 years ago. But unlike Peter, I did play a lot of them, and you'll probably hear me mention that four or five times more on this podcast, including right now, because my honorable mention game is Lufia 2 Rise of the Sinistrals. Lufia 2 is excellent. It's um it has some really, you know, balanced turn-based combat with a, sort of a magic system and a skill system and a monster-raising system that all interact with each other. Uh, the puzzles 
in the dungeons get really challenging and interesting in the second half of the game. And uh, the storyline's a, a little bit simple, but but very good, very satisfying, and one of the uh, most beautifully tragic endings I've ever seen. I um, when I was I played the game when I was a teenager, and uh, and and it was it was on a uh, with an illegal download and not with a real copy of the game. But I I think I might have shed real tears watching the end credits. Yeah, uh, I think you mentioned this one on the uh, SNES encounter, right? I'm yeah, we did. I think I think we talked about it quite a bit because. Uh, one of my one of the other guys in the podcast was was a huge Lufia Two fan. I don't remember how deep we went into it, but um, but Lufia Two is excellent. I uh, I only played it the one time because the, the it gets to be a pretty brutal dungeon crawl in uh, the second half of the game. Not really a dungeon grind, just that like the puzzles and the dungeons themselves are uh, are are challenging and uh, and and brutal. But it, but it's a game that uh, I think it's really good, and the ancient cave optional dungeon around the midpoint of the game is one of the best optional side quests in any Super Nintendo game. There, it gets really wild. But anyway, yeah, Lufia Two is my honorable mention, and uh, but sadly uh, we didn't. It didn't get enough votes and enough points to make our top ten. Uh, uh, Peter, have you played Lufia Two? I saw you 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 voted for it. Yeah, I think it's an excellent game. Um, I, it's another one I didn't finish though. Um, there's <laughs> problem with me and Super Nintendo games, this will be as we go down the list, is that I'm a wee youngin on the podcast who grew up in the game who grew up in the GameCube PS2 era. So going back and playing a lot of these older games was through less than savory means. And again, I didn't really get very far in a lot of them. The the ones I did I did really enjoy, I played the heck out of, but Lupia 2, unfortunately, did not end up being one of those. It's one I definitely would like to go back to, especially if it ever got an official re-release and not a uh, action RPG remake on the DS. Yeah, the uh, the DS remake of Lupia 2 has pretty good music remixes, but nothing else that's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm really leery of it because it, they changed it to an action game, got rid of a lot of the puzzles, and it got very bad reviews. So I'm I'm really hesitant about that DS game, but I have not played it. Was there a PSP release also, or am I uh, confusing Lufia and Lunar again? You're confusing Lufia and Lunar. It happens every time. Yeah. Um, well, they... Don't play Lunar on PSP. Yeah, the Lunar on the PSP is... Uh, the story stuff is okay, but um, the random encounters and the map design really frustrated the hell out of Rob Fenner when he played that in uh, June, July earlier this year. And we, we even podcasted about it, so you can uh, listen to our Lunar 1 podcast from a few months ago. But... Uh, but um, Lunar was not a, a Super Nintendo or Super Famicom game. Lufia 2 is... there's uh, There isn't a whole lot more Lufia after this, because there was... Uh, Lufia 2 is way better than the first Lufia. And then there was a... I think a Lufia sequel on the Game Boy Color? Yeah, The Legend Returns. Yeah, that was it. And I... And I there was a Game Boy Advance one, too. Oh, there was? Okay, I... Oh. I I, I I'm not sure if either of those are remakes or new games. I haven't played them, but uh, but Lufia Two is great. Lufia One is not nearly as good, and it, I I think the series is pretty much gone, unfortunately. But it, yeah, it, it at least left us one really cool Super Nintendo game. It's unfortunate. Yeah, they had Lufia: The Ruins of Lore was the last new okay. game in the series. Game Boy Advance. It was a was that uh, a remake? Published... Is that a remake of one or two, or is it a no? It's a new game with a. It, it was published by Atlas. It has a. Huh. Uh, Renewed emphasis on creature collecting, if I remember correctly. All right. I think maybe I mentioned this a second ago. There is a monster-raising side quest in Lufia 2. I think there's 
eight monsters that you can find, and then you feed them your uh, your discarded items or or special monster food to have them grow and evolve. Hmm. And uh, hmm. there's there's eight of them total, and they they each have multiple forms. With uh, and I remember definitely checking a, checking a guide on on Game Facts 15 years ago to to make sure I was evolving each of them to their final form. But uh, th- that was a, and I think the the fire one, the the one that eventually becomes a phoenix, was the one I used the most. Yeah, Lufia Two has a lot of really cool stuff going on, um, and I, again, I think the ending is particularly poignant and memorable. Mm. So if, if it if if anyone has access to that original Super Nintendo version of it, I'm not sure if it's on a if it's on a legal emulation system like the Wii Virtual Console. It probably isn't. Uh, they. It, it's worth checking out if you have access, but I'm not going to tell you how to where to where to download things because that would be inappropriate. Unfortunately, the, I don't think the Wii Virtual Console exists anymore. Uh, it does still exist. It goes offline in a few months on January oh, 1st, okay. 2019. I thought it had already died. No, no, you can still download from it, but you cannot add points to your Wii anymore. So hmm. you so you can't. Uh, you you can't buy Wii cards and add points, but the download store, like the servers for the Wii, are still up until January first, twenty nineteen. And I'm I'm uh, I, I I didn't have to do any late night any last minute shopping. I managed to spend all the points that I had uh, spent that I had loaded already. But I do have I do have several Wii Shop games on my old Wii. I think I I spent probably uh probably in the neighborhood of eighty to a hundred bucks on on Wii stuff. It's the, it's the only way you can legally play ActRaiser without a Super Nintendo. <laughs> ActRaiser, a game I almost chose instead of Lufia 2 for, for my honorable mention. Oh, it should, yeah, that would have been a good one too. Yeah. But uh, Nintendo, I know you're not listening to this, but put the virtual console on the Switch, you cowards. <laughs> Agreed. I, I think that's, mm. you know, the, the Switch is, there's so much uh, enthusiasm around the Switch and Nintendo knows that they can make money with nostalgia. I, I think it's it's ine- it's inevitably going to be on the Switch eventually, but they uh, they probably just have other things yeah, higher priority. I'm wondering if they're going to lock it behind the online paywall, but that's the tinfoil hat speaking. Possibly. I think. But yeah, this is not a Switch episode. This is a Super Nintendo Super Famicom episode. So we need to we need to keep in character, boys. So <laughs> those are three games that sadly are not in our top ten. That's Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals, Bahamut Lagoon, and Dragon Quest VIII, uh, World of Illusion, or Realms of Revelation, or however you choose to translate that Japanese subtitle. But uh, now let's get into the real top ten Super Nintendo RPGs that the three of us have concocted for the podcast. Uh, coming in at number ten is Tales of Fantasia. That's the first game in Namco's Tales of series. It's a it's a fantasy RPG starring a swordsman named Kless and a few of his uh, friends from the past, present, and future. It, it I, I like this game a lot. I had it on my list higher than tenth. And uh, in the Super Famicom version of Tales of Fantasia is excellent. Uh, the version that North America eventually got on the Game Boy Advance is not excellent. So I would recommend, even if it's through unusual means, try to play the PS1 or the uh, Super Famicom version of this game if you can. But I-, I think it's a really, really good action RPG with surprising amount of uh, voiced music and voice work for being a Super, a Super Famicom game. I think it- it's one of the very few Super Famicom games with a lot of... Uh, of, of like you know, um, a voice in combat that isn't a fighting game. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Keegan, you've played Tales of Fantasia, correct? Yes. Unfortunately, I've only played the Game Boy Advance version. 
But with all of its flaws, yeah, I know. With all of its flaws, though, I can still appreciate that it is still a really good game. Just that <laughs> the uh, random encounter system really, really hurts after a while. Or the rate, rather. The random encounter rate in the Super Famicom version is pretty bad, too, but the sprites are a lot better, and the controls are are a bit better in combat. I've heard that the PSP version, which has uh, expanded voice work and more side quests than the original, um, is the best one, but I have not played the uh, PSP version, sadly. But, uh, yeah, I, I really like Tales of Fantasia. Um, it's different from other Tales games, uh, from you know, uh, Symphonia onwards, since it's a 2D plane, like, kind of like a 2D fighting game. And, um, the only character that's really a fighter is Kless, the main character. Uh, the others are, you know, spellcasters and one archer and one ninja girl that sort of hang back. And, and Kless has to sort of, like, you know, fend off the monsters while your back line sort of bombs them with spells and arrows and whatnot. It's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting flow to combat, but I, uh, I really like Tales of Fantasia. The, the storyline goes in pretty impressive places. Uh, Douse, the main villain, is an excellent, underrated Super Nintendo RPG villain. Uh, uh, Peter, have you played Tales of Fantasia in any version? This, I, I actually have not played this one. Um, and I'm, honestly, it's because I think I've gone over this on other episodes. My interest in the Tales series is a little lacking. I think they, they, had, a, they had a certain level of um, anime tropes that uh, I was just kind of like not comfortable with when I played Exilia. So I haven't really gone back and played any of the older games. But I am curious hearing you talking about it, because like you said, the, the way you described the kind of as a predecessor i know it's like i know that the star ocean team eventually split off from it and basically tried to make their own copy of it and that's how the, that series was born so i am kind of interested in trying it for myself we'll see one day maybe cool Not um yeah it i i think very highly of tales of fantasia uh it's it's a little long, and the grind can be a little brutal because of that rate of encounter rate, but I, I like it a lot. And again, surprising things like, like voice work during combat in an RPG for the Super Famicom is just is a little bit eye-opening. It's, it's, it's cool stuff. That is some really neat production value, for sure. Yeah, and there's even a pop song in the opening, uh, opening cutscene. But, uh, alright, so Tales of Fantasia, that is our number 10 uh, Super Nintendo or Super Famicom RPG. Coming in the list at ninth is a game I podcasted about uh, with you, Peter, earlier this year. <laughs> Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars shows up. At, and uh, I think, Peter, when you were mentioning um, Bahamut Lagoon earlier, on, honorably, of course, we mentioned that uh, Square had a pretty incredible run on the Super Nintendo, and the Super Mario RPG is not going to be the last Square game that we discuss, I promise. Uh, but uh, what are your overall thoughts on Mario RPG, and um, do you think we ranked it appropriately? <laughs> um, I, I, I would, I would I mean, if it was up to me, I probably would have ranked it a little bit higher, honestly. But Mario RPG is one of those games where it's like this should not work nearly as well as it does, but it <laughs> and it spawns a whole host of imitators and sequels, some of which I hold very dear. Um, so, and, and what I love about Super Mario RPG, especially, is how they really went the extra mile to make it feel like an authentic Mario game. Like they could have very easily like, Oh, we want to make a Mario RPG. And they could have just made like a generic, like kind of a dragon quest clone or something like that with Mario stuff slapped onto it. But they went the extra mile to work in the sound effects, the um, implementing the platforming into the environment design, the time tits in combat. 
Yeah, exactly. Like each... go on to be a series staple. Yeah, exactly. It's um, really the Paper Mario series and the Mario and Luigi series in a lot of ways were made in Mario RPG's image and uh like Peter, I hold many of those games quite uh quite dearly. So and it, it, so I'm I'm not only grateful for Mario RPG, uh Mario RPG is an excellent RPG on its own. And uh I think you, myself, uh, Steph, and Alana all were very enthusiastic about playing it for the podcast uh, earlier this year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Was that that? Uh, refresh my memory. Was that your first time playing it? Uh, it was my first time playing through it. Uh, right. I'd touched on it a little bit, but yeah, um, it, was, it was a good time to see. I was it was it was it felt weirdly familiar because <laughs> my experience with later Mario RPGs, you go back to this and it's like, yeah, it's all here. <laughs> Should they add some additional Super Smash Brothers Ultimate characters in our future? Well, uh, I mean, if, if they're if, if Smash Bros. Ultimate is truly going to be the comprehensive, definitive Smash experience, they should keep the Geno costume. But um, oh, that, that's that's almost rude. <laughs> yeah, um, it'll be like Waluigi being an assist trophy, and then Sakurai putting a purple and yellow chair in his office um, during the the last direct. It's like, yeah, he knows. <laughs> he knows yeah. not only is Waluigi not in the game I'm going to sit on him how do you like oh. that never ask me for anything again <laughs> so uh, Keegan if you played Mario RPG I, I noticed you didn't vote for it as uh, which Peter and I both did <laughs> unfortunately I have yet to play it I have it just sitting on my uh, SNES mini just calling out to me constantly but I've just do got it. too many games <laughs> there's too much stuff distracting me right now i got xenoblade chronicles 2 i got octopath traveler i got stuff for the podcast but it's just there dragon waiting. quest 11 is going to be coming out right around the uh, time this game air, air this game sorry this podcast episode airs uh, so so it's a it's a few weeks away uh, as we're recording this but it's um i'll probably be playing this while you listener are listening to this episode <laughs> but um uh, I, I, I but, love... but, but i'm sorry to interrupt you keegan but for the record uh i when I played uh, Mario RPG, or I should say, replayed it for the podcast, I did play it on the on my uh, recently purchased SNES Classic. Oh, it's so nice, right? Oh yeah, it's a great little machine. I love that thing. Yeah, but um, I've played all the Paper Mario games. I've played all the Mario and Luigi games. I love them so much. Love the charm and combat. So I know I'm gonna like it. So wait, wait, wait. So the, so before playing Mario RPG. You chose to play Sticker Star and Paper Jam despite having access to Mario RPG. Okay, we're going back in the past. Here. Huh? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I've heard enough. I think. Ah, uh, don't do me like that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, congratulations for you know appearing on your final episode of Retro Encounter. <laughs> oh no! I always knew it would come to this. Yeah. The papercraft, the papercraft aesthetic in Color Splash was amazing looking though. Like that, that if they if they made a proper Paper Mario sequel, but like that art style, I'd actually be really down with it. I don't think this is controversial to say. Uh, the Mario RPGs are largely excellent, but the last couple have not, you know, hit the highs of the series exactly. Like, I think the last one I really enjoyed was probably Bowser's Inside Story. Uh, Wait, remake. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, Superstar Saga also had a recent remake, but I haven't played that one. Uh, but anyway, Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. It's an undeniable Square classic, SNES classic. It shows up ninth on our list of top ten Super Nintendo RPGs. But now we move to number eight, which is uh, continuing the trend of games we have covered on Retro Encounter, Terranigma. Uh, now... It's a really enigmatic example. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, uh, now, now it's not, now Peter, now the shoe's on the other foot. I have started Terra Enigma before, but I never finished it. Uh, when, uh, I was not on the episodes of Retro Encounter where we discussed it, but, but I got to, um, uh, Terra Enigma's divided into, uh, four chapters and I, uh, please correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. And I, uh, stopped playing it in the genius chapter, which I think is chapter three. But but Terra Enigma is a very interesting game. It's the third game in the uh, Soul Blazer trilogy. Uh, what are your overall feelings and experience with Terra Enigma, Peter? So playing Terra Enigma for the podcast was really interesting because um, um, it was one of our earlier uh, retro episodes, and oh yeah, still... De- definitely the first year of the podcast in 2015. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was I was still in college when that when we did that one, and um, I just remember um, I was playing it on my laptop and. Getting trying to get, I got through the first like major section and restored the world and went up to the surface. And all of a sudden, it's like I am, it's almost like a completely different game. And I got a lot of value out of that one because I think Terranigma it takes the best elements of the previous titles where it's working on, which where it's kind of going for a you know, kind of a Zelda style, kind of Zelda, kind of yeast, a little bit of what's what was the company developer's name, Quintet. Yeah, so it take and it takes some elements of that with like the the con- reconstruction of the world and kind of an emphasis on divine beings um, that inhabit those worlds. I think that, that for me, what's so impressive about Terra Enigma is that it's able to go to some really interesting philosophical places with its portrayal of. I mean, basically, portray it, it, all those games subscribe to a certain Mother Earth philosophy that is explored across all three entries and it's some pretty heady stuff to fit onto a super famicom game so i just kind of admire it for that and it's got probably the best presentation out of the bunch i love how it goes from like the kind of lava filled mode seven uh uh opening chapters to the surface world to that bit where you're just kind of like exploring and going to different continents and then uh, eventually coming back home is just it's a fascinating game. Yeah, um, watching the world evolve as you go through chapters 2 and 3 was really fascinating. Like uh uh the, the first dungeon in chapter 2 is the uh Amazon rainforest and and after you beat the Amazon dungeon, vegetation grows everywhere. And then as you are di- re- resurrecting different phases of life in chapter 2, the world grows around you. And in chapter 3, it, which is the resurrection of genius chapter you're watching humanity grow and evolve as you introduce new things to uh or or have humanity re, uh, like remember things that were lost it's it, it jumps around in time a lot and it, it uh but it's it's really cool seeing the world transform as you pra- as you progress through the game and i don't even really properly remember the part of in, in terra enigma where i got stuck but i was quite affected by it as i was playing it i mean man how about the deer in the himalayas yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my god, that that was that was harrowing. Yeah, it really is just a fantastic game. I, 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 I that's one of those things too, where it's one of the bet. It's one of the best RPGs on the Super Nintendo, but never got a North American release. Although this one was localized into English. Yeah, um, this is one of those rare video games like, uh, oh shoot, I don't know, like Vib Ribbon that had European release in English, but not a North American release in English. So. Uh, 
I, I played this via less than legal means, but uh, I but Terra Enigma is available a handful of places. I think it might be even on that Wii Virtual Console. I'm not sure. Uh, was it? But mm-hmm. I, I I definitely played it on a uh, on a via PC download, but uh, illegally. But it, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, Terra Enigma is cool. Um, I never finished it, so I didn't vote for it on my list. But Peter ranked it so high on his list that it managed to sneak into the top ten anyway. <laughs> Happy to be of service. But uh, speaking of games that only one person voted for, but they were so high on the list that they made the list anyway, we have our um, game that we are ranking seventh overall. That is Seiken Densetsu 3. Now, um, I'm the person that <laughs> that voted for it really highly on his list, and then it made it to this list, to the final top ten. I love SD3. It is one of my favorite Super Nintendo or Super Famicom games. It's... I I ranked it in my top three just so just to you know um, illustrate that and uh, I don't know if either of you have, you two have played it but I'm sure that you're aware that it is the sequel to uh, the popular Super Nintendo game Secret of Mana Secret of Mana's Japanese name is Seiken Densetsu Two and uh, SD Three is similar to Secret of Mana in that you're controlling three characters going through an isometric space that's very colorful, uh, has a lot of mana series highlights like Rabbites and the Eight Elemental Spirits and a variety of weapons and weapon skills and uh, and elemental spells governed by those spirits. But the flow of combat is very different from Secret of Mana. With Secret of Mana, um, you're casting spells to improve your spell proficiency and attacking with weapons to increase weapon proficiencies. And a lot of the best weapon attacks, uh, you have to sort of charge up a weapon meter to execute them. With Seiken Densetsu 3, there's less variety since there's um, each character can only use one kind of weapon. But as you attack, you fill up a meter that lets you do special weapon cutscenes. So there, it's it's less weapon charging and less sort of active combat, but more skills, more spells, and uh, and more characters. There's uh, there, Seiken Densetsu 3 has six playable characters, but at the very beginning of the game, before the action really begins, you choose three of those six, and that is your main party for the whole game. And uh, you'll meet the other three characters uh, th- as part of the story. But uh, you choose your party at the beginning, and that uh, adds to the replay value a lot. And also, as you play the game, you uh, your characters evolve by changing classes once, once at level 18 and once at level 38. So each character has four final versions of themselves in, these, in this class system that governs what spells and skills they learn. And also, which, <laughs> which character you choose is your first of those three, uh, affects what the end game is. So uh, th- there's basically three end game scenarios, which is the last three, uh, eh, yeah, last three or maybe two and a half dungeons, and the last handful of bosses is determined by who your main character was. So like, uh, if you choose Duran or Angela, then uh, the then the final dungeon is. Um, the Dragon Cave, yeah. Um, if you choose Duran or Angela as your main character, then the Dragon Cave is your is the final dungeon, and the Dragon Emperor is the final boss. And that and there's different scenarios for the other two pairs of characters. But I've been monologuing a little bit. Uh, have either of you guys played Psychic Ninsetsu Three? Starting with you, Keegan. No, I have not. But I'm okay. kind of amazed at the amount of content just from what you told me that they could pack into this game. Yeah, and uh, uh, Peter, have you played SD3? I, I, I know it's, a, it's, it's slightly off the beaten path, and it, uh, it did I not have a release outside Japan. Not, but I really wish I had. All right. Um, um, it's not a super long RPG. I think you can beat it in... Uh, I, I know what I'm doing since I've, I've played it uh, six or seven times. It's about a 15 or maybe 20-hour RPG, 
And but and I've played it so many times because I love experimenting with team combinations and uh, going through all the different final boss scenarios. So I, I've done I've done all three of the boss scenarios and messed around with a lot of different teams. Um, I, I remember once for uh, just just for laughs I did an all women team, but I had them go to their character classes that were where they maxed their attack power. And the the women in this game are um, Lisa's sort of a balanced fighter, and the other. Uh, one is a healer and the other one is sort of a magic user, but I had them go maximum physical offense just to, you know, make up for the, for their normal lack of offense. And it was maybe the most fun I've ever had playing the game. Cause I, I, because I, I used spells and skills in regular combat more instead of saving them for bosses. And they, and uh, the, the, those two magic users kicked more than the usual amount of ass that they would normally kick in regular, in regular, <laughs> uh, in regular battle. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, Sagan and Setsu 3, it's like a more streamlined secret of mana with a bunch of with uh, a lot of replay value by choosing by uh, by doing class changes and by choosing your team at the beginning. I talked about SD3 a lot in our uh, Encounter of Mana episode from about a year ago. And uh and and there has been a fan translation of Sagan and Setsu 3 available on the internet since around 2000. And again, I played it in that like o three o four window when I was just playing a zillion Super Famicom games, and uh, it became one of my all time favorites. I love this game. I could do an entire episode just solo talking about it. But uh, well, before we before we move on, could I make a confession? Oh, please. This is not the RPG confessional. Oh no. But I actually have n- not played any of the Mana games. Oh, and- Peter. <laughs> no, no. Um, I've been. I, I'm kind of. I. That's why I'm really hoping that they have actually localized that Switch collection, um, because I would buy that in a heartbeat. If they localize um, that collection, that means there is an official localized version of Seiken and Setsu Three, and I want that like I want a cure for cancer. I mean, that, that I, it's again one of my all-time favorite RPGs. If if you look at my, if you look at past features that have been on the main site, I I think I've done blurbs about sd3 there too it's i i love that game and i really would i would really like for that switch collection to be localized as well but uh, i'm not very optimistic yeah we'll see i i've been avoiding the remakes of secret of mana and and uh, the first game because i've just heard they weren't very good the the first game is a second Nintendo one which was remade into which was called final fantasy adventure in the west then was remade as sword of mana then remade again as uh, adventure Adventure of Mana for the for mobile devices in the P and the PS Vita, I think. Those, those the aesthetics on those ports are just so butt ugly that I'm just like, no, no, thank you. You know, you know, Final oh. Fantasy Adventure hasn't aged great, but in the t- in the moment, it was a pretty dope Game Boy RPG. But I don't, I'm not interested in replaying it. <laughs> yeah. Second so Nintendo three though, I could I could go for a replay number seven or eight on that thing. Yeah, I could do that. Where? Come on. Come on, do the thing, please. Do the right thing, please. Not I, okay. This is uh, we're gonna get to Final Fantasy VI later. I'll I'll, I'll save this for later. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, okay, now okay. Spoiler alert: Final Fantasy VI will eventually show up on this list. But uh, but staying with um, the realm of Square RPGs and staying in the realm of uh, of Final Fantasy a little bit. Number six on our list is Final Fantasy IV. Okay, uh, Final Fantasy IV is, I think, the Final Fantasy game I've beaten the most times. But it's not my favorite. It's not even one of my... It's probably not even in my top five favorites. Uh, I didn't vote for it for this list. But because it's come out on every system... (laughs) 
<laughs> or so many systems. And every time it comes out on the new system, I buy it and then play it again. Final, Final Fantasy IV is... I hesitate to come up with an analogy that isn't an STD, but it, okay. it does like it really has spread to like just about every platform imaginable. Probably, yeah, I, I, I think I've beaten it five times, and that's only because it's come out on systems I own five times. I I, I, I don't know if that math is exactly right, but I've beaten FF4 a bunch of times. I think it's very very good. Uh, but it, I didn't have it on my top ten. I, I don't love it as a Final Fantasy game, mostly because of the visuals and mechanics. I think that uh, Final Fantasy V's class system and Final Fantasy VI's Esper system is way better than uh, any of the skill or, or, uh, stuff that FF4 has going for it, and both of those have better versions of the ATB battles as well. And FF4 has a really good story and really likable characters, but maybe not among my favorites on the Super Nintendo. But uh, but both of you guys um, had Final Fantasy IV on your list, and, and I'm, I'm not denying anything. It's definitely a good game. Uh, so, uh, Keegan, what's your overall thoughts on uh, on Cecil and Friends Adventure? <laughs> well, I absolutely love them. Uh, like you said, it's not my favorite Final Fantasy, but for me personally, I think it ranks pretty high up there. Um, it misses all the, like the fancy bells and whistles that later entries have, but I think down in its base core, it really helps solidify what Final Fantasy games would become. Also, I feel like it's the one Final Fantasy that's been remade constantly and hasn't suffered from horrible graphic changes. Like the PSP remake, I feel like is still solid. Different, but oh yeah, that's still solid. Oh, no, no. It, the PSP remake was is clean as hell. It's really good. That's that's Final Fantasy IV complete, and it looks yes. excellent. Mm. And, and I mean, the, the, the DS remake. I mean, uh, DS polygons haven't aged the best, but it it, it looks pretty good for what it is. Mm-hmm. And you can get that version on Steam, and it's actually a pretty decent port there too. Um, the, the DS that, version or the PSP version? The, the DS version is okay, the version. Cool. Um, which the DS version was actually my first exposure to FF4. Um, back when I was on a, I, I, I loved the Nintendo DS as an RPG machine. And um, oh yeah, one of the best all time. It was fantastic, and um, that port of FF4 um, really, uh, really sold me on on the premise alone. They really played up a bit more of the angle that of Cecil's character as like, you know, he because he starts off the game as the dark as a dark knight of Baron. Um, commits, you know, a tr- commits uh, these atrocities in war, feels guilty about it, and then ends up over the course of, of the, the first arc of the game, redeeming himself to a degree. Yeah, and it's the, a pretty- he he transforms his own character by literally transforming, which I have always been very amused by. Yeah, like he literally he becomes a paladin by literally fighting his dark his dark knight self and turning into um, paladin Cecil at level one, no less. He resets. I think that's I think that's cool. I think for a, an early Super Nintendo plot, that is a really neat way to show a character's progression. Even if by today's standards, the storytelling in FF4 is a little, you know, it's 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 goofy. You know, characters die for just as an excuse to get them out of your party so they can add new people. Only one all... of them actually dies. The others all come back. They're it's it. Don't worry, kids. They're fine. They're 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 okay. And uh, and they're hanging out in. Uh, in Missidia now, except except Tella, R.I.P. Yeah, but that first playthrough, it feels so real. It, it's it's it feels it feels good until you until you realize the truth. But um, <laughs> and yeah, and in the end of the GBA and PSP remakes, uh, you can re-recruit um five of those characters back to your party, which is nice. Yeah, and they've added a ton of new content to these re-releases of the game. Both the DS and PSP versions are both. I can't say either one is necessarily 
because the DS version is way more challenging and has a lot of interesting mechanics that they added. But um, do you, do you, you know PSP... you know the main reason why it's more challenging though is because the uh, the speed stat is a little bit broken in the DS version, and sometimes if it's if it's set if you set the battle speed too high, enemies will attack like three times in the space you get to take one turn. So uh, oh. you can really uh, basically set the difficulty by slowing down battles in the options menu for the DS version. I I needed to do because I had it on the highest or second highest setting for most of the game, but then I was just getting annihilated in the past of the core by uh by the various dragons and floating heads in the in that dungeon so i i set the battle speed to like medium or maybe even uh slower than medium and I, and then it was a breeze after that right but no ff4 is great and uh, yeah. uh, just, uh just it, it did not escape the square enix uh release unnecessary sequel bullshit so <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't... The, the, the After Years sequel is available on the PSP version, or you can get it separately uh, from. But on... why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't love the uh, After Years it's stuff. Not either. even a game. It's literally you're literally playing through the same bits from four with a bunch of recycled assets and a dumber story. They do. There's one story idea in that game that I do like, and it's definitely a spoiler if I bring it up. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one because I know what it is. Right, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, no. That, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but that's one cool story idea and an otherwise very disappointing sequel. And a really cool alternate costume in Dissidia. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 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 Keegan, you um, you haven't spoken quite as much as Peter or I on Final Fantasy IV, you're, uh, but you're, you're a big <laughs> fan of the story. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite character, interestingly? Um, I think for me... It went throughout the years. When I was younger, I thought Kane was the coolest. I was like, look at this edgy guy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. He's, I bet he doesn't listen to his mom. Am I right? Like, come on. But <laughs> as I've gotten older, uh, I feel like I really identify with Edge a lot. Cool. And I, I think he's super cool. I love just throwing random weapons in the middle of battle. And I like his cool little spell, not spells. What was it? The ninjutsu? Uh, yeah, it was, I think they were called... Uh, it's ninjutsu in the recent ones. I'm not sure if they, if they had a. They might have had a, a weird, poorly translated name in the original uh, SNES translation. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But uh, Peter, do you have a favorite FF4 character? Um, out of the bunch, I actually like Golbez as a villain a lot. Cool. Even if he he is kind of the uh, archetypical uh, Final Fantasy giant armored dude villain who gets supplanted at the last minute by a surprise villain. Um, <laughs> He, I think, of, I think of those kinds of characters, he actually has a surprising amount of, you know, at least he has a bit of a redemption arc, and he's kind of an interesting character in his own right. And his theme music is awesome; like, it's one of my favorite tracks. In the oh game. yeah, that, that that big beefy organ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Best. <laughs> my favorite uh, FF4 character is Bridia. Um, I I like. I like it that she's sort of a scared little girl that kind of hates Cecil and Kane or Cecil and Kane. I'm I'm gonna actually I'm gonna mispronounce his name over and over. Uh, at, at the beginning of the game, then she overcomes some of her fears, uh, literally transforms into a grown woman due to uh, you know magical BS, and then is a, a really powerful, cool, capable character at the end of the game when she started out as a scared little girl. And I think that tra- that uh, both her design is cool and that transformation is cool. And for the record, I I um, now that we're in the top five or very soon we'll be in the top five. We're getting to the games that I think all or most of us have played, so this favorite character question is going to come up again. Um, 
But anyway, that's Final Fantasy IV. It is number six on our list of top ten Super Nintendo or Super Famicom RPGs. And now we move on to entry number five. I would argue this is the one that has the most debatable RPG status in the list. But uh, our official position at RPG Fan is that we like Zelda, so we're going to cover Zelda. So Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past is our number five uh, Super Nintendo RPG. Peter, you joined me for one or two of the Zelda episodes that we that we held in April, right? Yes, I did. Right. So, um, what are your general thoughts on the Link to the Past? Is uh, how do you think it holds in the Zelda canon, so to speak? I mean, I think I think I like Link to the Past a lot for establishing. I think it is a very important game in the series for kind of establishing the core Zelda formula. Isn't really established until Link to the Past because the first two, the first game sets a theme the second game is a weird but interesting offshoot and then link to the past really rams home the overworld design the kind of exploring dungeons getting items but it's also a lot more freeform than the later games would end up being um that uh like ocarina onward where the, the structure became really rigid um, Link to the Past, in a lot of ways, feels like a lot more like an adventure, where from the outset you can kind of just explore. You do have a big blinky uh, arrow pointing you where to go, but you can still do stuff out of order. There's a whole bunch of secrets to find. Yeah. Um, um, now, I, I think we would agree that the most nonlinear Zelda is uh, Breath of the Wild, the uh, the most yeah. recent entry. <laughs> yeah. But, but before yeah. Breath of the Wild. I mean, the most nonlinear one might be Zelda One, and then Ze- and then Link to the Past. <laughs> so, uh, like, I've been watching, I've been watching um, Game Grumps' Let's Play of uh, Skyward Sword that they're doing, and uh, it's a uh, it's kind of painful. Yeah, <laughs> uh. uh. yeah, but anyway, anyway, like Zelda One was sort of like I think Miyamoto exploring the idea of an adventure game and exploring the idea of nonlinear gameplay, and A Link to the Past is more linear than Zelda One, but. Uh, a lot more things than Zelda One. There's more of a story. There's more uh, more items, more powers, and still has a lot of nonlinearity. The uh, the last the last eight dungeons of the game can be done in almost any order, which is uh, which is pretty cool. And the game has I think twelve dungeons total. So you, uh, the the first couple are guided, and then uh, in the middle and and final acts, you can you can basically do whatever you want. And in terms of setting what Zelda was, it's probably the most influential Zelda. And, um, and uh, you know, Ocarina of Time was influential in its own way for how 3D Zelda games were made going forward. But A Link to the Past is excellent as a standalone game, excellent as a nonlinear action-adventure game, and uh, it's pr- it's one of my top four favorite Zelda games, uh, I would say. And it, it even has, you know, it deliberately subverted itself with a uh, with its 3DS sequel, uh, A Link Between Worlds, which is, um, which is an awesome Zelda game. And it is also another delightful item on the su- on the Super Nintendo Classic package that I played earlier this year. <laughs> I I, uh, I I played Zelda: Link to the Past um, uh, on the on my SNES Classic in anticipation of Zelda Month uh, in April. So I I replayed that thing in in the in the neighborhood of March April. Uh, uh, Keegan, um, have you played yeah. Have you played Zelda: Link to the Past? I'm, I'm not really I, sure of your feelings on Zelda in general. I have. Um, I'm actually a really big Zelda fan. I've done a couple of a uh, complete series run-throughs back in the oh, okay. day when they yeah when they released the uh, official timeline. I wanted to do <laughs> a run-through from the beginning of that. And Link to the Past definitely <laughs> sticks Breath- out. Playing some of the older games is uh, 
rough in this day and age, especially if you have no idea what you're doing, like myself. It took me a good amount of time to find stuff in Zelda 1. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah no, Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 have not aged great in the terms of sort of signposting <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and explaining different functions uh, compared to modern games. But, uh, but Link to the Past is considerably better than those two in, the, in that regard. <laughs> oh, yeah. It hits that perfect blend of giving you just enough guidance to give you a hint on where to go, but to not restrain you to exactly going this way. Uh, I remember the fr- very first time I played it, I was horribly stuck when I went into the dark world. Not figure out what to do for the life of me. I was also 12 at the time, so I don't want to hear none of that judgy judgy. <laughs> no, like that can be overwhelming when you're really young and you don't really like, you're not really as familiar with the, the established tropes. Like Zelda now, like we kind of know what to look for because we've been playing yeah. these games. Mm. But back in the day, I would imagine. I think the Zelda games are very good for teaching either new players or old players sort of the language of video game logic. Like, oh, there's a closed door here and a block here. I should try pushing the block. Like, oh, yeah. oh there, there's a switch here. I should hit the switch and see what it does. Like, just the the sort of like the cause and effect, uh, explore the black, the empty space kind of those ideas of playing video games. I think are communicated very well in Zelda games. And A Link to the Past is an excellent standalone game even in 2018 because I, I mean I, I played it earlier this year and also very valuable as an influential Zelda game but it's uh, Zelda Link to the Past is uh, an excellent Super Nintendo game it ranks fifth on our list of top 10 Super Nintendo RPGs and now we move into another game that we covered on Retro Encounter in fact uh, you know, spoiler alert all four of these last four of these last games are games we have covered on Retro Encounter joining uh, Terra Enigma and Super Mario RPG number four on our list is Dragon Quest V Hand of the Heavenly Bride uh, Keegan yeah. you and I uh, podcasted about this game last year with Rob Steinman and mm-hmm. um, it was it was a replay of the game for both you and I both of us are Dragon Quest V veterans so uh, how about you pop off a little bit on why we, you and I both know this is an excellent game <laughs> <laughs> alright yeah take a seat I got this one <laughs> so Dragon Quest V is amazing first and foremost <laughs> I feel personally for me that the story aspect is something that you don't see a lot in other RPGs. You don't usually see the beginning of the hero as a small baby carrying him all the way to being an adult with a full family. Like even with very minimal breaks too. Like you have two time skips and that's it. The rest of the time you're playing through this character's full life. Aside from that, combat is amazing. I love the monster collecting. I need to find myself a Sabertooth plushie at some point because that <laughs> Saber will always be my favorite cat in my heart. And I apologize to my real life cats, but they've never killed slimes for me. So Saber kind of wins there. Also the biggest debate of deciding who you will marry. Uh, for me, it will always be Deborah. And yes, I will not change it to Deborah. I know Deborah is the correct answer. Uh, she's but... not in the Super Nintendo version either. Oh, crap. I forgot about that one. <laughs> well, if you're uh, playing the DS version, Deborah is the correct choice. Uh, if you're playing I... the DS version, Bianca is the correct p- choice. And if you're playing the Super Nintendo version, Bianca is the correct choice. And if you decide you can't pick for, uh, Bianca, you should definitely pick Flora or Nera because B- Deborah is terrible. Uh, yeah. Flora <laughs> does have that super nice uh, magic buff to her, though, that passes on to her children. Another thing, too... Uh, Marrying your uh, which wife you choose to marry 
completely affects your children's stats later on in the game. I don't think it affects their stats. I think it only affects their hair color. Really? I'm pretty sure. I'm, I want to Google this now. Yeah. I, I just remember hearing that a while back, so that may or may not be true, but it's something I remembered. But yeah, do you prefer blonde hair, blue hair, or black hair? That's your main choice. Bianca is the correct answer. Must be right. uh, it's okay to be wrong. Guys, it's okay to be wrong. Like, I'm I know. It is okay to be, be wrong. It's, 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 why I'm not, it's why I'm not verbally lashing you right now. Look, I know it's my last episode on Retro Encounter. You already said it, so I'm just going to go all out. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it does not affect your, uh, your children's stats. It affects some things that happen in the second half of the game uh, because, um, uh, I, I should mention, uh, Flora is called Flora in the Super Nintendo, in the Japanese version, and her was renamed Nera in the North American DS version. But if you, if you pick Nera slash Flora or Deborah, um, you get extra gifts from their rich from their rich father as you continue uh, journey through the game, and uh, and each wife has different stats and different moves, but it does not affect the stats or uh, or or skills of your children. It's only the it's only a, an aesthetic effect on your children. Oh man, well I'm glad I know now. Now I don't yeah, have but... to be forced to pick Nera. Yeah, but in general, Nera has the best spells, Deborah has the best physical moves, and Bianca is more balanced but has higher HP and MP than either of them. Mm. But, uh, but, but, but really, it's the personalities. Because like, uh, Deborah is a very haughty, sort of, uh, um, sort of rude uh, princess kind of uh, character. Flora, or Nera, is very demure, very sweet, uh, very uh, sort, of a, sort of a pure character. And Bianca is your childhood friend, Who's a little bit, a little bit sassy, a little bit sort of a tough girl character, but um, but very much in love with you as your childhood friend that uh, that that you explored a haunted mansion with together as a, as children. And uh, and uh, Keegan alluded to this a little bit, but you start out Dragon Quest V as a child traveling with your father. Then after one time skip, you sort of travel the world as a teenager, and then right around the game's midpoint, you cho- you choose between those three women or two women if you're playing the Super Nintendo version, uh, and marry one of them. And then, in sort of like the in the in right before the final act of the game, you uh, you and your wife have twins, and then you sort of uh, there's another time skip, and by the end of the game, it's your uh, your your party is you, your wife, your two children, and whatever monsters you've recruited in your wagon throughout the game. So uh, now we I guess we've talked we've had a bit of a, a brief um, best girl conversation here, but we're gonna leave that alone. <laughs> uh, um, Keegan. What's your favorite monster to recruit in this game? Mm. But this besides is... besides Saber, Saber, the Great Saber Cat is a is sort of the story recruitable monster. But other than Saber, yeah. what's your favorite monster? Uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that carried me through well enough. Uh, goodness, honestly, you can never go wrong with a heel slime. They're always super beneficial, especially for those moments where you don't have a uh, your human characters around with you. Mm-hmm. Like they're always helpful. Though I will make a mention of my favorite human character. Which is Sancho, oh, right? <laughs> the, the saddest side character throughout the game. This poor guy just this poor guy just experiences the fall of your family from the sidelines. Yeah, he, he is he is sad. Poor Sancho. <laughs> He's your dad's best friend or uh, servant. However, I think the translations have described them differently. Oh uh, well, no. I... I... Probably both. He he's a very loyal servant to your dad, who's a who's a king, and he travels alongside you and dad at the beginning of the game, and then is overjoyed when he finds you again, and then very sad, and then overjoyed when he finds you again a second time <laughs> between the two time skips. Poor poor Sancho, man. He's so beat up all the time, but he's a fantastic tank, and he's a lovely man to bring around. So my personal favorite human. Now, uh, Peter, I'm sorry. I feel like I've been ignoring you during this uh, Dragon Quest excursion that Keegan and I have joined on. 
Uh, have you have you played Dragon Quest Five? Yeah, I have it on DS. Um, oh, it's, cool. That's probably one of my favorite games in the series. Um, easily my favorite of the ones I've beaten. Um, I think like I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. I think the story is fantastic. I think it hits a really heavy emotional note for the Dragon Quest series in particular. Oh yeah, jeez. Mm. Um, I quite enjoy um, what one thing I do like about it is the sense there's a sense of continuity um, throughout the timelines in that the antagonist of the game is sort of the same evil that's been plaguing your family across all the generations. Yeah, especially um, one of the demons in particular, uh, who's called Laja the Bishop in the DS version. And I think, uh, and I think, Gama or Jema in the uh, in the Japanese version. But uh, but and yeah, our, it's it's the same group of demons that's affecting you the whole time. And they're all localized as like chess pieces, which is always, which is kind of a neat touch, I think. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a cool bit of localization. Mm-hmm. Um, several demon characters are named after chess pieces, and they renamed the final boss uh, the, into um, Nimzo, the Grandmaster. Yeah. So I, I yeah, all in all, I think Dragon Quest Dragon Quest Five is a really good game. I. Uh... I I really enjoyed that one a lot. The DS remakes in general, I thought were a pretty pretty fantastic way to experience those games. The DS remake is a uh, I think a major improvement over the Super Famicom original. It for a couple reasons, um, it's a little bit better explained, and there's a lot there. The art is much cleaner and much better. But most importantly, uh, you have a party of four instead of a party of three, which made the original <laughs> version a little bit too challenging. But uh, just, they just gave you more to do in the DS version, and it's an excellent remake that I wholeheartedly recommend. Um, but Peter, I asked this question of Keegan: What's your favorite monster to recruit in the game other than Saber? Um, um, oh god, it's been a while since I've played this game. Um, I I'm, like. I'm it... not really playing fair since I've written guides about monster recruitment in this game before. <laughs> <laughs> I like um having a sli- I like having a slime knight on my party. Mm. Um. There are two monsters in this game that I always say are must recruits, even though they're technically optional. And the Slime Knight is one of them. Because the Slime Knight is super easy to recruit. You get him like 15 minutes after you're able to recruit monsters. Uh, he can equip a bunch of human armor, including like including Metal King Sword and a, and a bunch of shields and armor. And sometimes mon- it's hard to find a shield or a helm that monsters can use. And it also learns a bunch of healing spells, so you can just throw it in your back in the back of the wagon as a backup healer, or have it be a very good attacker healer in main in uh in in main battle. The slime knight is a must recruit monster in my opinion. The other one who I think is almost as good is a golem, because golems are huge and tanky and and will be excellent attackers and critical attackers from the moment you recruit them for the whole rest of the game, even though you get them a little bit later than slime knights. So yeah. Heel slime, slime knight, golem. Those, the, that's that's a good party alongside oh, one yeah. of the, your, your human characters, and saber. But uh, yeah, in case it wasn't already clear, I'm not sure I said it. I love Dragon Quest Four. I'm, I'm sorry, I love Dragon Quest Five. It's number four on our on our list, but I love <laughs> Dragon Quest Five. It's uh, it's probably tied with eight to be my favorite Dragon Quest game, and we have many many more detailed thoughts on that in two full episodes of Retro Encounter from around a year ago. So. That's our fourth ranked game on our list of ten Super Nintendo RPGs. Number three, we're continuing the theme of games we've done Retro Encounter episodes on. Number th- coming in at number three is Earthbound. Uh, now, Keegan, you and I were joined by Hillary and Rob Fenner for an Earthbound episode a, w- a long time ago. 
Uh, but and again, uh, you can uh, listeners, you can listen to those episodes for many more detailed thoughts. But man, is there anything else like Earthbound <laughs> in the world of RPGs outside of uh, outside? I guess its own series. Crap! I was about to say uh, Mother Three, but you took the words out of my mouth. No, it's just such a charming game. Like, there's so much uniqueness to it that's just fun to play through and experience. Like, I'll still never forget, um, and I'm so glad nobody spoiled it for me. The uh, Blues Brothers. Or the <laughs> the run with the Runaway Five. Yeah, the totally, Runaway they're five. totally not the Blues Brothers. It's, totally not, not Blues Brothers. it's not like they look exactly like them or anything. But oh, that was one of my favorite parts in a multitude of favorite parts in that game. Aside from the specific ending moment where you know the praying part. I don't want to give too much spoilers for those who haven't listened. Yeah, there's a scene but... involving prayer, and it is excellent. Yes, that brought some. That actually brought actual tears to my eyes. Yeah, Earthbound is special. Um. It, it uh, I, I, I forget what video, oh, I think it might have even been an old Zero Punctuation video, to, that's a blast from the past, uh, that described Earthbound as the Cthulhu mythos set in the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, which, I've, <laughs> I, which I thought was a, a very, very delightful metaphor that I basically agree with, because this is a, a very cartoonish, very pastel-colored, like, like almost, almost like Box of Crayons-style uh, visuals in a Super Nintendo RPG that... Has you know a bunch of harrowing situations and surreal moments and um, and moments of real satire and uh, and and weird darkness. Like it, the tone of Earthbound is almost impossible to discern, just because it's it, it's it's so odd. And even even sort of entering this, the absurd sometimes. I mean, I don't even want to try and describe what's going on in Moonside, <laughs> but. Uh, but it's really unlike any other experience other than, you know, the excellent uh, Game Boy Advance RPG Mother 3. And I should men- maybe mention Earthbound's Japanese title is Mother 2. Uh, but yeah, Earthbound's awesome. It sort of starts out as a, you know, an innocent story of a guy, of a boy leaving home to go on an adventure. And then it goes some real special places. It, it was on all three of our lists. We're all Earthbound fans here. Earthbound fans here. Uh, Peter... Um, is this one of the games you managed to finish during your SNES excursion? <laughs> Unfortunately, this is get one is on the pile. Of- oh. Peter, oh. so I'm gonna re-download it on 3DS. It's because I played it a bit of a bit of it on the Wii U, but I don't have the Wii U anymore. <laughs> so I uh, I plan on I plan on popping that Earthbound cherry again at some point. Uh, in, um, a, in what is going to become a recurring refrain, uh, it is on the Super Nintendo Classic. Yes. Uh, but I, I, did not, I did not have a SNES Classic when we did the Earthbound episode, though, so I, 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 um, I played it a different way, but um, it, it, is, it, it is on that very nifty little machine. For sure. I will say that I feel the um, beginnings of Earthbound are significantly better than towards the end. And this just might have been gaming fatigue for me, trying to beat it in time for the podcast. But those last couple of dungeons felt a little rushed, in my opinion. Um, uh, I would say the first half sort of has a better arc than the second half. But the, the very ending of Earth of Earthbound, from like Magicant towards the very end to the end, oh yeah, I think no, is really is really special. But sort of you know like maybe from the between the fifty percent mark to the seventy five percent mark, it gets a little a little out there, a little uh. Maybe not as well developed as the first as the first part of the game. I'd basically agree with that. Mm. And also, I will never stop complaining about uh, some of Pooh's equipment being random drops. Only right. one I- only one item being a random drop, but it's but I, it's, a, it's a very important item. It's his. It's I his know. Main I weapon. wanted it. I wanted it so bad, but I just I, couldn't do it. <laughs> um, I've beaten Earthbound three times. Once it was uh, once on the Super Nintendo in the nineties. Uh, it was a friend's copy that he lent me. 
once on an emulator on PC in the early 2000s, and then once more recently for the podcast. And I did grind for a Sword of Kings in that second playthrough. So I, I, I did have a fully equipped poo at at one point in my Earthbound uh, personal history, <laughs> but I, I did not grind for that item in the uh, in the most rec- in my most recent play because it's it's a it's either a one out of one twenty eight or a one out of two fifty six drop. It's it's some crazy rare item from it's a, a yeah yeah Trust and me. and it's from it's and it's from a an uncommon enemy in only one specific point in the game. And it's a it's a bit of a challenging point in the game. It's it's not exactly an easy farm, so it's a uh, it, it, the sword getting the sword of kings is brutal. I only did it once, and I had the benefit of emulation technology, <laughs> so I could fast forward through things and and whatnot. But yeah, Earthbound's excellent. Uh, and now I'm gonna have to ask that question again. Favorite character can be playable or not or otherwise. Starting with you, Peter. It's not really a playable character, but the concept of Gigas <laughs> is really. I know, I know. This is getting way far back, but it's just there's something about how the concept progresses. And I did do a little bit of research on Earthbound Zero slash Mother One. Yeah, okay. I don't think Mother One's a very good game, but Gigas's background relating Mother One to Mother Two is very, very cool. Yeah, it is really interesting. So yeah, and that final boss fight is one for the ages. Like that one, that fight scene. I've seen, I've seen that scene before. Again, got to get there myself, but it is. It's it's nightmarish. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I'll, I'll go second this time. Uh, my favorite character is probably the Apple Kid, <laughs> because he is a a messy, silly, brilliant inventor who does not seem important at first, but becomes extremely important to make progress in the game. And I don't know. I think he might have the most transformative arc of any of any of the characters, be, because again, like. By the end, he's collaborating with uh, with other scientists to you know like send you uh, through time and uh, and to transform your characters into into in without spoiling anything and to you know literally transform the heroes so they can survive the the uh, the rigors of time travel. And he started out as this messy kid living in the second town who needed money for uh, who needed money for chocolate or something. <laughs> and so I I just I just think the Apple Kid is a uh, almost an inspired kind of character that you don't really... See, I'm not sure I've ever seen in any other kind of game. I love that guy. Ke- Keegan, do you have a favorite character in Earthbound? Uh, for me, personally, I love Jeff. Mm. I feel... In this uh, playable party of characters using, you know, psychokinesis and basic magic, you know, or in, like, a kung fu fighter and a woman with mystical abilities, here's little old Jeff just firing off bottle rockets. And a gun. <laughs> and a gun. But he still keeps up, you know? And he's got his best friend back at home waiting for him. His dad kind of just ignores him, at least at the start of the game. But Jeff just really sticks in there, you know? He's there throughout the entire game, and I love him. And I think he deserves more respect. And, and Jeff is way better than Lloyd, who is a character similar to Jeff in uh, in Mother 1. Um definitely better and uh, and uh, and you're right I forgot about it. Jeff and Tony have this really sweet best friend relationship yeah I think Tony even sends him uh, messages or no I'm thinking of uh, towards the end when you get messages from certain characters yep yeah one of, one of the one. one of them is a letter from Tony to Jeff yep yeah it's very sweet Jeff's a good character he's a good kid he is a good kid and speaking of good kids how about an RPG with 14 good kids in it <laughs> the most good kids yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> um, number uh, Earthbound clocked in at number three on our list of the Super Nintendo's ten best RPGs, and coming in at number two is a game that I, th- I think we already spoiled a little bit. As much as you can <laughs> spoil things in a podcast that's under two hours, is uh, Final Fantasy VI. Um, uh, one of the most beloved Final Fantasy games. It's it's tied for my favorite FF game alongside Tactics, and. Uh, Alana and I did a special one-off episode on Final Fantasy VI. Um, um, probably, oh shoot, probably two years ago. I think it was. Uh, I think it was like fall 2016. She and I recorded that, but and and we did it from the perspective of her playing FF6 for the first time, and me being someone who even wrote for a Final Fantasy VI website for almost a decade. I adore Final Fantasy VI. I uh, it it has. A, a really interesting steampunk vibe. It has a really interesting uh, use of the motif of hope. There's a uh, it, there's 14 playable characters, and 12 of them I would say are well realized. The other two, the, the final two are secrets and sort of cameo level. And it's shocking that a 16-bit RPG has um, such a level of you know respect towards a large cast. And it even has a pretty innovative uh, storytelling device where around the 40% mark of the game or so, um, your characters all separate and you have to rebuild your party from scratch and the game becomes a sort of a, a non-linear smorgasbord of activity. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, Final Fantasy VI is awesome. Uh, it has a very broad, diverse cast that I adore. And I, I, if you... if if any if any listener here who hasn't played FF6 and has an interest or a passing interest in Super Nintendo RPGs, what are you doing? It's <laughs> it's on the Wii Virtual Console. It's on the Super Nintendo Classic. It's been re-released on the PS1 and GBA and I and I think PC. But wait, Peter, what about that PC yeah. version of FF6? Oh. oh. God, at first I almost got really defensive because I thought you were really like, "Yes, I played FF6." What are you talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, uh, the Square, we need to have it. We need to sit down and have a nice little chat about um, your re-releases lately, because um, people like your games. They really like your old games. I know this surprises you because you're always surprised when your throwbacks to your old games sell well, but that FF6 version. That one on mobile, the one with like the pastel graphics, with the giant eyes and the horrible backgrounds and the typos and the and the, the yeah, weird that's, smudgy redrawn sprites. That's ugh. a disgraceful way to treat one of your best games. A game that still looks good to this day. The artistry of FF6's sprites are amazing. Like the, the way, like the, the what are they? The, the the warring triad. The way those are things are designed is incredible looking. Why would you do this? And it's just, and then um, uh, I, I think what Peter's trying to say is that when we had the PC remake of FF6 appear in the in our, I think it's in the top three or top four of our uh, April Fools version of this <laughs> podcast, we may have been praising it in jest. It's and and uh, the thing is, and they I saw I someone I think it actually may have been um that Sh- uh, Schreer guy from Kotaku, he interviewed someone from Square Enix and they were surprised when people were asking for an FF6 re-release, because they're like, well, we already did that. Don't people like the updated graphics? And they were like, and he was like, no. No, we do not, because they're awful. It's just one of those things where this company seems, I don't understand what facilitated the change when they had a perfectly working, good-looking version in the GBA version, that they could have just slapped that ROM onto something and I would have played it. But no, 
Can't have nice things. Yeah, the the PSP version of Final Fantasy IV was basically a tightened up and uh, um, you know you know you know uh, not really HD, but uh, but like an, an improved. Like it was clean, but still in keeping with the style of the old game so much that it looks like an update. The, yeah, the, like the, 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 the transformation from FF4 GBA to the PSP was great, but instead of doing that for Final Fantasy V or Final Fantasy VI, they redrew the game's visuals in a way that is, I don't think, was appealing to anyone, and that, that's no. really tragic because FF FF6 is, an, in my opinion, an unassailable classic. It's the only game on that was in the top three of all of our lists, and uh, all of our individual lists, and it finished number two overall. But again, I mean, I used to write for a website called Caves of Narsh. I adore FF6 and uh, everything from its uh, its storytelling to its nonlinearity to how diverse the characters are. Like, because each character has a has a shared skill set in the in the magic system, but then a unique skill set in their uh, in you know whatever is in the second position on their menu, and uh, and and again, there's twelve characters that feel unique and fun. With uh, with two extra ones that are even more unique, but maybe less fun, depending on your you know, <laughs> d- depending on your feelings on Umaro and Gogo. But you know, speaking of those characters, I I have to ask ask the question again: Who's your favorite character in Final Fantasy VI? I'll go first this time to give you guys a little bit of uh, some time to think. Um, I think for me, it's probably Cyan or Cyan. Uh, he is a samurai character who is uh, who you know has to hold and uh, has to hold time and, and basically wait ex- extra turns to um, complete bushido or sword technique skills, but is a, a very good attacker. Very uses very good armor. He's not very good at magic. He's not very fast. He's probably only average in if I was ranking the characters by uh, by how powerful they are. But his story arc is incredible in Final Fantasy VI. Um, he watches his entire all of his friends and family die early in the game when uh, when Kevka poisons all of Doma. Uh, his where where uh, where Kyan is a uh, is a samurai, and then he says he says farewell directly to the ghost of his wife and son. Uh, when you do a uh, when you're you know go into a brief adventure onto a train on a train traveling into the afterlife, a train which you can you know slam it into its own <laughs> tracks, amusingly, and then later in the game when you meet when the, the party is separated and you find Cyan again. He meets a young woman that is uh, that is waiting for her uh, for her um, her boyfriend or her fiance to return from the war, but uh, but little does she know that her fiance di- that he died. So Cyan, Ky- out of pity, writes her love letters and makes her uh, flowers out of silk, and it's 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 a really cute moment. And then, then after Cyan rejoins, if you go back to the ruins of his home of his hometown, uh, his he, like. Uh, some horrible demons enter his dream and try to consume his soul from within, and you have to rescue Cyan uh, from demons inside his own memory, which is a crazy awesome side quest. I everything that happens to Cyan in FF6 is amazing, which makes him my favorite character. So that that, that, that was a that, that that was a lengthy spiel, and I apologize. <laughs> so uh, Keegan, your turn. Who's your favorite FF6 character? Hmm. Okay, so I never used her much in my parties. But I think Realm, super adorable, and I love her special move that she has. Realm is like a little artist throughout the game, and she actually, oh, it's been a while since I played, so I don't remember the exacts of it, but she does kind of a copy move where she does drawings of the monster she fights. Yep, it's and called uses, Sketch. Yes, that's it. And I believe she uses the abilities directly against them, if I'm correct. 
Um, uh, if Sketch works, which it does most of the time, then she draws the monster, and then it does one of the monster's attacks. Yes. Uh, and if you give her the, uh, a certain accessory, uh, Sketch becomes control, and instead of, and instead of uh, instead of sketching the monster and doing one attack, she can control the monster's move, and you can choose what they do. Yes, and she also has um a very interesting uh, backstory that not a lot of people get to experience between her and a certain other character in the party. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Realm's cool. She has a uh, she has a sassy comeback when uh, Edgar kind of hits on her around the midpoint of the game, which I enjoyed. And also, a uh, weird fact, she has the highest magic stat in the game. So if you want to make her into a pure magic user and not have her use sketch at all, that's actually not a bad strategy. Her, her magic stat's higher than that of Celeste or Terra. Might have to change up my party next time I play through the game. So, Peter, do you have a favorite character in FF6? Um, Ed, Edgar's probably my favorite character. Um, and the relationship between Edgar and Sabin, Sabin especially, um, point oh, yeah. of point, dude, it gets me. <laughs> that, that bit was, that was when I broke. <laughs> I had to close the Game Boy and be like, <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I love Edgar. He's funny. He has a really hilarious menagerie of weapons. Um, his character arc is genuinely touching. Um, uh, he actually ended up being a final staple at my party, even though he probably wasn't the most optimal by that point. But whatever. I got to hit Kefka with a chainsaw, so I'm going to call it a win. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I want to take a quick minute to talk about that final battle. How oh, yeah. amazing battle all is... those stages are. Yeah, huh. it's like and it, how it's like a reference to like the Divine Comedy. Yes, you get into like how Kefka like literally ascent Kefka's nihilism. There's 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 a there's a an article about Kefka's philosophy that I found was very interesting because it talked about how literally he ascends to godhood and still finds that there is nothing. I mean, at that point, like the fact that he's just there casually destroying things because that's all he can do with his existence. Is this, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, you guys might know this better than me, but is there any other RPG that has a final battle utilizing every playable character? I mean, excluding the two um, secret characters that are found in Final Fantasy VI. That last um, battle uses all 12. Final Fantasy VIII does a similar split the party to complete the dungeon gimmick. Oh, yeah. Well. And, uh, and Final Fantasy VII, you'd, um, your party is divided into three pieces and you have attacked Sephiroth from three different sides. And it does... It, 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 and in FF6's final battle, you only use more than four characters. If any of them fall in combat, they get replaced by your tw- by any of them that you have in, in the sort of backing them up. Which but, is neat. I, lo- I do like that feature. But, but, but in FF6's final dungeon, you do divide into three teams of up to four each. And, that's a, and, a, and then the three parties sort of interact together to get through the dungeon. It's, it's, it's an excellent final sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I love that game. I'm going to go back and play it sometime soon. It's so weird. If if they do a proper re-release, you know what the PS the PS4 versions of like seven and nine have been great. I'm kind of hoping they'll go back and do some of that with some of their SNES games. And and the original SNES version of FF6 is on the Super Nintendo Classic, but it's it's uh it has the localized version uh you know the localized title of FF3 and does not have the additions in the GBA version. So it still has like so like the magic block stat is still completely broken. Um, there's a lot of game breaking glitches. FF6 is not the a lot of the games on this list have have unusual statistical glitches, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's part of the though, you know. 
Like yeah. a lot of that, it's like you know, this is before they could just patch out weird bugs like that. <laughs> like, but... I, I, something like three of the base stats in Final Fantasy VI are basically useless. I think stamina only affects how much damage poison deals and re- and regen heals or something. It's 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 not a great designed um, uh, statistics system. But but the Esper system is awesome, and that the party system is awesome. All twelve of the main characters are great. I I love FF6 a lot. But yeah. uh, now. FF6 finished second on our list, which means that we have one more game to discuss before we are done talking about Super Nintendo RPGs. And this is a game that we Alex did... Quest. <laughs> Lufia 1. <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 2. Oh, boy. Uh, and it is, it is a game that we did cover on the podcast over a year ago. But it is puzzlingly not on the SNES Classic. That's I, I was a little surprised by that. And it's a game that, in our joke list from five months ago, we ranked 10th. Uh, Chrono Trigger yeah. is uh, is our number one Super Nintendo game uh, for our for the this podcast exercise. Uh, we've talked about Chrono Trigger a lot on this podcast before. Uh, Peter, let's get into it. Why is Chrono Trigger great? Where, where do you even start with a question like that? It's yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm, be, I'm not playing fair. Is like, Chrono Trigger is like... It's the kind of dream project that you... I, I mentioned earlier that Super Mario RPG is the kind of mix that shouldn't work but does. Chrono Trigger is the kind of dream collaboration that you never expect to happen, only it did, and it was amazing. Like, Yuji Hori, Hironobu Sakaguchi, and Akira Toriyama all got together and made a game. And it's exactly what you'd expect. It's like the top-tier, one of the best RPGs of its day. It's super charming. Got great music. It's got really likable characters. It looks great. Like the combat is snappy and fun. There are mechanics that Chrono Trigger introduced, like a seamless transitions into battles that it took the rest of the genre years to catch up to. And then the UI for battles sort of appears and disappears quickly and takes up about a third or less than a third of the screen. Yeah, That's... it's super clean. The sprites still look good, look good, and it's a a twenty three year old game. In it, they emote and animate well. Um, they do some really clever things with the finesse tech. Um, the story takes a bunch... I mean, it has a bunch of really heartfelt, really sincere moments. The multiple endings um, and new, the benefits of playing on New Game Plus, it just... Uh, I could gush. I could keep going. We did a whole podcast on this game. <laughs> we did We did two podcast episodes on this so game. Listen to those. <laughs> you can hear us gush about it more. <laughs> But yeah, I love Chrono Trigger. It's probably my favorite game of all time uh, for all the reasons you said. It's uh, an incredibly snappy and smooth RPG. The story goes fascinating places. The set, the variety of settings and variety of characters is excellent. The sprites are amazing. The uh, the music is amazing. I, I I'm stammering trying to find find more ways to praise Chrono Trigger. It's uh it's awesome. That multiple endings that you that are. Uh, that that are really entertaining to go through. I'm not sure if it's the very first game to utilize a new game plus feature, but it's one of the first at least, and uh, and one of the most famous instances of it. And even when it's even when it gets silly or funny, it's just an awesome awesome RPG experience. And like FF seven, like FF six, and like honestly most of the games on this list, if you have you know old school RPG tastes and you haven't played this game, what are you doing? The DS version is readily available. The Steam version finally got fixed. Thank goodness. Like, you can, you can like, Chrono, there's no excuse. There it's no also excuse. available on PSN as a, as a uh, PS1 classic, so you can play that on Vita 
or PS3, maybe also PS4, but I'd have to check. But maybe don't do... No, you can't do it on PS4, but ah, maybe don't do that version if uh, you have choices. Yeah, um, the, there's good stuff in that version, but the load times are pretty bad. Um, so that if you... This, the SNES version and DS versions are preferable to the... Uh, to the PS1 yeah, version most of the time. It goes for that FF that FF6 port, um, per, if we're being perfectly honest. But hmm. uh, Keegan, uh, what are your thoughts on Chrono Trigger? It's a it's a pretty good one, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, my first experience with it was the DS version, so I've never experienced the differences that happen in in uh, the original SNES version. But man, this is such a good game. There isn't a party member I don't like. I never felt like I was kind of grinding or wasting time. Everything felt important. Even the side quests were beautiful, especially the uh, forced regeneration one with Robo. Yeah, that whole bit is like the fact that you can completely miss that segment if you don't if you decide not to mm-hmm. if you skip to the final boss. But it's one of the best like bits in the entire game for for Robo and for Luca. Yes. Yeah, all of those side quests that unlock during the, uh, um, I, I think it's I, I think it's called the Faded Hour in both uh, in the original translation and in the DS version. The the Faded Hour side quests are among the best character moments in the game for basically all of your characters because oh, yeah. the, because that, that that that's where um where Magus meets his three lieutenants again, where Frog uh, um uh, meets the ghost of his best friend again, where Robo has the Fiona Villa side quest and the Mother Brain side quest, and where Marl uh uh and Luca both reconnect with their parents separately. Uh-huh. It's a front of your first time players not skip those those, yeah, those, those yeah. Side. do the side quests that unlock near the end of the game because they're, they're incredible. I also really like uh, experimenting with the different party makeups just to unlock those secret techs, you know? Yeah, like, that's a great way to experience, a great way to encourage players to mix it up. Uh, I forget, what, what is the party where, I know it's Robo, Chrono, and somebody else, but where Robo just jumps up on top of Chrono and they just do that light beam circling the entire area? Um, uh, that that's a dual tech. That's I think just called. Uh, uh, I think it's just called laser sword or something that that only Chrono and Robo can do together. But uh, uh, Chrono Robo and Isla's triple tech is called Twister, and they spin around and create a tornado around everyone. Um, yeah, is that the one? Yeah, the, the, basically, the, just the idea of of having your party members combine powers for group techniques. And uh, and have it be so easy and smoothly done. You can like you can switch between your character menus with just a few button presses, and uh, and uh, and have, see their their dual text and triple text uh, just in a regular menu is so smooth and so good. I'm shocked that like every RPG doesn't do it. It's it, it basically adds uh, between I, I guess between 15 and 20 new moves to each of your to each character's uh, repertoire, and it's. It's awesome. Like when you when you get a new dual tech or new triple tech, it's like, oh damn, I gotta I gotta use this in the next fight just <laughs> just to see how what this awesome thing I learned is. Cr- Chrono Trigger is awesome. Uh, but we we've done two whole podcast episodes on it. We don't need to communicate it any further. But before we close out, uh, favorite character, playable or not playable? Starting with you, Keegan. Mm, man, this is this is the hardest favorite character one you've given me so far today. Uh, we've only done it for for five of them that that uh, that I know that all of us have played. <laughs> yeah, I know, but this one's still the hardest. I think I'm gonna have to go with Robo. I first of all love his theme song; <laughs> it's catchy, 
and I want to listen to it all the time. But also his backstory at the beginning with his, I guess you could call them brother robots, if you will. Yeah, the, the R-series that you fight in the factory. Yeah, that uh, that entire scene is heartbreaking, where they just pummel him and you can do nothing about it. I mean, he's a robot. I shouldn't be feeling these feelings, but I do. I feel sad. And even the music that plays during that makes the whole scene sadder. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 brutal. And and Robo has two really good late game side quests with the Fiona Villa stuff with Luca, and the Mother Brain stuff with uh, where the, <laughs> Robo's speed increases by three at the end of that side quest. So that one's definitely worth doing because he goes <laughs> he goes from being the slowest character in the game to something like to ranking fourth, I think, which makes that entire thing worth it. Uh, but Peter, do you have a favorite Chrono Trigger character to tell us about? I am having a hard time deciding between. Thank you. Two, there's at least three characters who really emotionally impacted me. So, okay, runner-ups are Glenn slash Frog and Magus slash Janus. Um, my favorite character is Shala. Um, oh, interesting. I love Shala. Um, I love. I think she's a great example of a. But she's because she when you first meet her, she's kind of like a princess, your typical princess character in an RPG. Like, okay, she's like the demure, magical princess character, kind and generous and all that from this ancient kingdom. And but she goes out of her way to help you, you know, disobeys her people. She's actively working against like helping you guys destroy the mammoth machine and prevent Lavos from returning. And she plays a really significant role in Chrono Cross that ends up kind of she she ends up becoming the thread that ties the two games together. Um so I just have a lot of admiration for her character, the way she's written. Um the way the side quest they added in the DS version um kind of puts a nice little uh some added like threads to connect that plot line. And um I love her theme music um because it's really pretty. It's got like this nice little uh synthesized bell going. Um so yeah, Shawa is going to be my pick for favorite Chrono Trigger character. This game! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and I guess it's my turn. Um, I sort of have two characters that are my favorites, but uh, Keegan already picked Robo, so I'm going to go with my other one, and that is Frog slash Glenn. He has yeah. a, a really great character arc um, where he uh, is this uh, is is a knight in the in the medieval time period. It was transformed into a frog by the sorcerer Magus, and uh, but and if anything, instead of living in shame, he's used that form to his advantage and become a uh, a frog knight of remarkable prowess. But uh, <laughs> but he's also he fits into basically any team. I mean, if you throw frog into any other combination of attackers, you have excellent healing, a good attacker, and a bunch of good extra dual text. Mm-hmm. The uh, he's yeah, I, I think Fro- yeah I think Chrono is probably the most versatile character in the game, but Frog is uh, definitely in second place and is a and is a a good healer to boot. He is so much fun to use, and just the visual of a sort of a smallish frog with a big broadsword is kind of awesome. And and I and I also like the the croaking and ribbiting sound effect that he has. That <laughs> is just is great. It, um. I love this entire cast, but uh, Frog and Robo are my two favorites. And uh, so, and basically, whenever I set up a final party in Chrono Trigger, it's it's going to have one of those two. And uh, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm happy to sing Frog's praises for a few minutes on the podcast. <laughs> 
he's he's a great character. I I was again I almost picked him myself. So so I'm I'm slightly regretting having this character discussion because uh, we we've run pretty long in in time. Uh, so I think it's about time to uh, to close up. Um, thank you. Uh, Peter and Keegan for joining me on this uh, delightful Super Nintendo discussion. But uh, before we go into housekeeping, just as a final reminder, um, we talked about 13 games in detail on this podcast. Uh, three, of, uh, three of them in a three-way tie for 11th. We have Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals, Bahamut Lagoon, and Dragon Quest VI, Realms of Revelation. Not in our top 10. And then Retro Encounters, Real Top 10 Super Nintendo RPGs. 10th, Tales of Fantasia. 9th, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. 8th, Terra Enigma. 7th, Seiken Densetsu 3. 6th, Final Fantasy 4. 5th, The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. 4th, Dragon Quest V Hand of the Heavenly Bride. 3rd, Earthbound. 2nd, Final Fantasy 6. And 1st, Chrono Trigger. That is our top ten, and we are sticking to it. Chrono Woo! Trigger had a remarkable uh, nine-number jump between our last top ten it was involved in. <laughs> Just as it showed that you can improve. All you have to do is believe in yourself. Exactly. But uh, that's enough about talking in the present. Let's talk about the future a little bit. Uh, next week, we are um, doing the first episode of our September re- uh, Retro Encounter Game of the Month, and that is Suikoden 2. Uh, as I mentioned on the podcast a little while ago, Suikoden 2 is, has been the most requested game for the podcast via reader mail and uh, reader messages over the years we've done this. So we're finally getting around to the PS1 classic Suikoden 2. Um, I've been playing it for most of the month of August, and I'm, I'm really, really impressed. I can't wait. I'm a complete Suikoden noob, so it's going to be a lot of fun talking about that game for the podcast next week. And uh, we haven't recorded it yet, but Keegan, you'll, uh, you're going to be also on that panel, correct? Oh, yes, and I love this weekend in series. Awesome. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to being educated by you and the other Suikoden veterans on RPG Fan staff. Uh, also, we have a. I'm not sure exactly what episode's going to be after um, Suikoden, uh, because we have a couple that are sort of in the oven right now. We have a, a Pokemon episode that Peter, you, and I have been talking about doing. We have an episode on battle systems that I know um, we're going to have a new RPG Fan staff member on those. Uh, we have an episode on, I think, like, indie brower, browser horror games that uh, Rob Fenner was, has been planning. So that, that one will probably save for October. But if you want to know if – oh, man, if someone knows about weird Japanese horror games, it is Rob Fenner. It is. I was going to say, I think I had that one pegged. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, indie, Japanese indie horror games. I mean, okay, Rob, obviously Fenner's hosting that one. And then I say that with uh, with um, admiration and affection, Rob, in case you're listening. Indeed. Fenner is, Fenner is a wonderful human being. Uh, I want to do that episode, but I get too scared. I'm you know I I'm not really into horror so I'm uh, I'm going to I'm just going to leave that to Fen Fen and whoever else we can recruit but that that episode is coming in October. And uh, speaking of October, we have picked the game for October. I don't I don't want to reveal exactly what it is yet, but I I'm I'll, I'm because I'm I'm coy and I'm a jerk, I'm just going to give you some hints. Uh it's two games. We're going to do one g- episode each for two games and I have not played them, but it's kind of, but if you know me and you know what these two games are, it would probably be shocking to you that I have not played them. And uh, Keegan, you, uh, you, Peter, and Keegan, you can check the Google Doc to see what to see what games I'm talking about, and maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you won't be. But anyway, so October, we do have those plans in place, but it is going to be two games that I have not played, but I am eager to get to once I finish Suikoden Two. 
But that's enough uh, teasing for future episodes. Uh, listeners, if you want to email us, the best way to do so is to go to retro at rpgfan.com. Best way to email. That's the only way to email us. If you if you want to contact us otherwise, you can go to RPG Fans forums. Check out RPG Fan on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, Instagram. All of those links are on the front page of rpgfan.com. Uh, there's a second podcast, Random Encounter, hosted by Random Encounter. Whoops, there's no cows in that. <laughs> Random Encounter, hosted by Derek Heemsbergen, which is more focused on current events, and they run that usually once every two weeks um they recently hit 150 episodes right at the same time we did uh we also have uh twitch streams going on at basically every afternoon or evening during the week you can check rpg fans front page to see who is streaming at what on a given day and uh all listeners also please review us on itunes google play or wherever you're listening to us if you um dropping reviews is helpful to us please do so if you have a mind to uh, but that's enough about the podcast. Let's get selfish. Uh, Peter, how can listeners reach you if they were would want to do so? Well, if listeners want to find me, um, they can always find me on Twitter, uh, Peter um, Treisenberg, um, at I Have Fury. Um, right now I have a banner of Richter telling Dracula that Luigi is dead. <laughs> we Rest may in- be recording this episode... Uh, a, a, a little bit after a recent Smash announcement. Luigi is dead. Long live Luigi. Um, you can also reach me, uh, Peter T at RPGFan.com, where any news inquiries or other just uh, uh, promising messages that you want to send my way. All right. And Keegan, your turn. If you guys are looking for me, um, I'm Fozzie Bear on the RPG Fan forums. The best way to get in contact with me is on Twitter. My handle is at Kaylee Brand, and I'm usually making some comments about recent video games or anime I'm watching. So get in touch. Yeah. Right on. And uh, yeah, listeners, if you want to find me on the interwebs, the best way to do so is probably Twitter. I am at The Real Monsoon most of the time and at Evoker for Dogs other times. And uh, I'm also on Discord as Monsoon Mike and on the forums as Monsoon. So I think that about does it. Uh, we talked about thir- 13 excellent Super Nintendo RPGs at length, and this time we were not fooling at all. Nope. Because, I mean, how can you possibly make a top 10 without Earthbound or Dragon Quest V? The downside to this episode is now I just want to replay all these games. Yeah, for sure. I need to track down. I need to track down some of my copies. I've played all of them except for Terra Enigma, so that that's the one that I'm I'm having second thoughts about right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the Super Nintendo is my favorite console. It's what got me into RPGs because FF4 was my first RPG, and uh, it revisiting them and talking about them is something that I will do with very little prompting. So, listeners, thank you for putting up with us for a full hour forty five minutes. It was a lot of fun to record. Mm-hmm. For sure. We appreciate your input. We appreciate you guys listening. And we're glad to have offered something that you guys wanted to hear. Thank you. Good night. And good luck. Adios. Ribbit. <laughs>